Okay, we're talking about Parshas, Parshas Bolak. Uh, no, Parshas Bolak, and uh, the topic of this evening's discussion is uh, mental illness and halacha, uh, mental illness and Jewish law. And the connection is uh, to this topic from the Pasha is uh, somewhat debatable, I would say, maybe tenuous. The crazy donkey. So <laughs> bear with me. <laughs> bear with me. And we'll see, okay? Maybe yes, maybe no. But either way, if, when we have the time, we will discuss the, the lo- these laws. So the Torah says like this. The Torah says that when Bilaam, uh, Bilaam's uh, job was to, to curse the people, so the Jewish people, so in one of the times that he cursed them, he said the following words. He said, uh, and he said, Nu'um Bilaam, right? This is chapter 24, verse number 3. This is the speech of the man who was Shisum Ha'ayin. The Shisum of the eye. So the question is, what is Shisum of the eye? So the Targum the translation of the Unkel says, Shisum Ha'ayin means Shapir Chazi, that Bilam was able to see very well. So what does it mean he was able to see very well? So the, uh, the, uh, the Ramban explains that whatever he, whatever he, his eyes saw, he understood those things right away. Right away he was able to, to, to uh, um, assess the situation and uh, calculate what was in front of him. That's uh, the Ramban says. However, Rashi is somewhat cryptic. Rashi says that Bilam was, the word Shasum means that Bilam was, um, Bilam was blind in one eye, that he couldn't see out of that eye. Okay? The, uh, the difficulty with Rashi is, is that Rashi says that he was blind in one eye, and at the same time he quotes the Unculus who says that he was able to see very well. So the question on Rashi is, is that, uh, is that Rashi is, uh, is uh, difficult. On the one hand, he was blind. On the other hand, he was able to see very well. What does that mean? Okay, what? So, what, is, yeah, what does that mean? This is the question of this book called the Gan Rava on the Torah, who is quoting the Baal Shem Tov. So, this is, we start with the Baal Shem Tov's insight on the Torah, which will lead, lead us to our main subject, uh, subject uh, our, our, our discussion. So, the, uh, the Baal Shem Tov says, the Baal Shem Tov says like this. He says that we see that really Bilam was not supposed to have prophecy at all. We know that he was a prophet, and we know from the parsha that Hashem spoke to him, but he wasn't supposed to have prophecy at all. He, um, he, was, uh, he, was, uh, he was not a prophet, but Hashem granted him prophecy. As Rashi explains to us in uh, chapter 22, uh, verse number 5, Rashi says like this, that uh, why did Hashem give prophecy to such an evil person. Okay? Why does Hashem give prophecy to The Talmud tells in tractate Sanhedrin on page 105b that he was guilty of bestiality with his donkey. Okay? He was also, Rashi tells us later, which is the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, Rashi tells us in uh, chapter 24, verse number 2, Mishnah in Pirkei Avos is chapter 5, Mishnah number 19, that he had three terrible character traits. Number one is, is that he had an evil eye, he was arrogant, and he was greedy. Okay, three of your favorite uh, of uh, three of your favorite things that you like to find in your friends. Okay, this was this was uh, Bilam was uh, by every stretch of the imagination of Russia. He was an evil person. Okay, so asks Rashi or asks the Medrash, which Rashi quotes, why did Hashem give him prophecy? Right, why did Hashem give him prophecy? Now this question becomes even more difficult when you take a look at the uh, Rambam in um, in the laws of Yisodei Hatorah. Of, uh, 
chapter 7 of Yisodei HaTorah, or the formulations of, of, uh, of the foundations of the Torah, the, Ramba, the Rambam describes what it means to be a prophet. Okay? So it, 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 it's beginning to just, it, it, it's worth it to take the first halacha in chapter 7 and just to read what it means to be a prophet. He describes how the prophet had to be perfect in every sense. He had to have every character trait. He had to be accomplished intellectually in every single matter and spiritually. Right? The, the Ramam describes that there were academies where people studied how to be prophets. It's not a simple thing. We look, look, we look in, uh, in, in, uh, in uh, Mesil Sisharim. The Mesil Sisharim, the uh, Path of the Just, from Moshe Kalanitato, his whole book is based upon a, uh, um, a growth level of a person from the beginning of his growth level in spirituality till prophecy, till Ruach HaKodesh, right? This is the whole, this is what the, the, the that's what the Mesil Sisharim is based upon. As he, as he explains at the end of his uh, introduction, he says that the Talmud tells us, Rabbi Pinnacles ben told us, the Talmud says in Tractate of Abu page 20b, right, that these are the levels. First person has to be careful, then he has to be zealous, then, then, then he has to be clean, then he has to be separate, etc., then he has to be pure, fear God, and then the last level is Ruach HaKodesh, after Ruach HaKodesh, I come to Tchis HaMesim, which is divine inspiration, and then comes the resurrection. Okay, so the level, the highest level that a person can reach in Judaism is prophecy. And here we have this guy. This guy is still a, a, a Russia walking around and being a prophet. So therefore, Rashi asks, how could it be? Why did Hashem make this fellow a prophet? Right, so Rashi explains the reason. What's the reason? He says that... Uh, he says that the, uh, that the nations of the world are going to claim to Hashem. They're going to say, look. Or they said, look, it's not fair. You know why the Jewish people are so good? You know why they were Bali Chuli? You know why they repented? Because they had prophets. They had, Nebu- they had, they had Yeshaya. They had, and they had Yecheskel. And they had Yirmiyah Anavi. And they told them straight. They had Nosan Anavi. He told David Amalek straight. He told them what it is. And that they have to right, constantly uh, sermonize to the Jewish people that they have to repent. We don't have anybody. What can we do? We don't have anybody. What's going to be? So Hashem had no choice, right, so to speak, Kivayokal as if it would be. So everybody said, okay, I'll give you a prophet. I'll give you a prophet so you can't complain. Why? Because, because there is nobody else to choose. There is nobody else to choose. Okay, I don't know why he, sp- why he picked that specific word. I don't really want to discuss that. But we, had a, we have a separate class about that. Why could he be a good person without Torah? That's a different discussion. So, so the, the Baal Shem Tov asks, the Baal Shem Tov asks, so, okay, good. So we have to make him into a prophet. Fine. But, uh, but uh, where is he going to be a prophet? In order to be a prophet, you have to be a Kaddish. You have to be a holy person. You have to be special. And if you're not special, if you're Tomei, if you're spiritually impure from the fact that you're committing constant infractions and that you're, you're, you're not a spiritual person, where is the prophecy going to... Going to, if you take a look in, the, in, uh, in Rabbi Moshe Chaim Otato's book, The Way of God, he explains that prophecy really is a connection to Hashem, and through the connection comes the messages. It's not just a communication that God decides to speak to any particular individual, but there's messages that come as a result of the connection of the righteousness of the person. Okay? That's what, uh, that's what the, um, the Baal Shem Tov asks. So answers the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov says that every single person has five senses. Those five senses are physical, right? Sight, smell, uh, hearing, etc., right? Are physical. Corresponding to those five senses, we have spiritual senses. For the sense of sight, there is a spiritual sense of sight. Not only can we see physically, we can also see spiritually. We can hear physically, we can, we can, we can hear spiritually, right? So what happens is, 
is that there's a connection, a direct connection between the spiritual seeing and the physical seeing. And if the physical seeing is Kadesh, if it's holy, then the spiritual seeing can also be Kadesh, it can also be holy. Right? Says the, uh, says the uh, Baal Shem Tov. However, if a person sees things that they're not supposed to see, they uh, 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 cause a detriment to their sight, to their physical sight. Their, their sight is, is filled with things that are impure and detrimental spiritually. Then that affects the spiritual sight also. Oh. So says the, uh, says the Baal Shem Tov. So what did Hashem do? Hashem made Bilam blind in one eye. So that if he's not able to see from that eye, he can't damage his spiritual sight. And since he can't damage his spiritual sight, there is the prophecy going to be. That he'll be able to see through the eye, his spiritual eye that has not been damaged by his physical activities. Here. Moshe Chaim So therefore the prophecy, the prophecy was able to be in the, in, in, the, in the spiritual eye because he was blind in that eye. And that resolves the contradiction in Rashi because we asked on Rashi, Rashi says that the tra- the Rashi says that Bilam was blind in one eye and at the same time he said, quotes the translation of Donkulus who says that he was able to see very well. So he asked on Rashi, can he see or is he blind? Which one is it? So the answer is both. Because he's blind, therefore he can see. The Onkelos is not talking about regular physical sight. The Onkelos is talking about spiritual sight. Yeah. Fine. So uh, that's, that's the... Uh, that's the, uh, the Baal Shem Tov, that's what he says in this week's Pasha. And that's why the Torah tells us that he was blind in one eye, because since he was blind in one eye, he was able to retain some holiness of spirituality in that eye, and that's where the prophecy was, uh, was laid in. That's where the prophecy was, so that Hashem can communicate to him because of this uh, claim of the non-Jews that we didn't have a prophet. Okay, that is the uh, Baal Shem Tov's insight into this week's Pasha. Now, there's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting, so I was thinking like this. Uh, this is our lead in into our, into our topic. The Talmud tells us in tractate Babel uh, Basra, page 12a, the Talmud says that prophecy was taken away and given to the insane. Okay? So what does that mean? So the Marshal says, the Marshal says that the, that the insane people can have prophecy from, from the can have prophecy from the Shadim, from the demons. Not our topic for now. Uh, look in the, in the way of God. That will be the discussion. Uh, that's what the Marshall says. However, one thing, however, the Mar- yes, that's what the Marshall's opinion is, seems to be. However, the Maral takes a completely different position. He says that, he says something like this, if I understood him correctly. The Maral says that there is prophecy that exists that is channeled from Hashem to people. And since a person who is insane, is mentally disabled, then he says there is a direct connection from that prophecy from Hashem to that person. He says, however, when a person has mental capacities, their mental capacities serve as an interposition, as an interruption in the prophecy. Therefore, they have to achieve a spiritual level where they have prophecy. However, when a person is disabled, then they can have that prophecy direct. So, why? I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. I don't, I may, it could be wasted. So there is, there is. Sometimes some the, the, there are documentations of these. That they, that they have said things that are... Right, so... But this is what the Gemara says. So this, this morale fits with, uh, with, the, with the Baal Shem Tov. 
because the Bashenta says that as soon as a person is physically disabled and somewhat, Bilam's case was that he wasn't able to see. Therefore, his uh, his spiritual capacity for sight was was much more was much more in tune, and therefore there was a uh, capacity for prophecy. So too, so too, right? The, the, the Maral is explaining this way that a person who is who is mentally incapacitated, right? has the capacity for prophecy for this reason because there is no interruption because there is a holiness there that cannot be contaminated by the physical uh, by, by the physical actions because of the person's incapacity so basically what we're saying is a person who is incapacitated their neshama is holier is much more accomplished than a person who is has capacity why? because their incapacity allows, allows them, them, them to remain much more spiritual and not be contaminated by their actions. Okay? There is a story that is, that is, uh, that I wasn't able to find a source for, um, with the Chazanish, but it's circulated in, uh, I saw it on the internet in JewishPress.com, whatever, and uh, some other sites. And the Chazanish used to stand up for mentally incapacitated people, mentally ill people. He said, the, the reason why is because uh, he said that since they're uh, incapacitated, therefore Hashem expects much less from them. must be that their Nishama li- needs much less tikkun, right? And he is invoking the, the concept of the transmigration of the soul, that there must be that this person is a Gilgal, right? He's uh, reincarnated from a different life, and therefore they have much less to fix. Uh, they have, uh, and therefore their neshama must be much holier and therefore they, they stood up Rabbi Landesman told me that his father went to Rabbi Moshe Shapiro who is a, very, uh, is a rabbi in Yushalayim he gives a lot of classes, a very famous rabbi and he said he never heard that the Chazanish ever stood up for anybody's mental ill however, he did hear that the Chazanish did say this he did say that they are on a, on a, on a, on a, on a holier level this is, uh, um, this is what Rabbi Moshe Shapiro said so therefore, this is the, this is the connection to this week's pasha that the that the uh, that the, the mentally ill are actually counterintuitive to to to, to, to our first perspective uh, they're on a much uh, a much higher level spiritually than than we are, and hence uh, hence there is uh, ramifications to that that we, that we discussed. Okay, so we're going to we're going to talk about we're talking we're going to talk about now after this after this insight into the ramifications of being mentally ill in, Jew, in, in Jewish law. There are many questions. So, uh, for example, uh, Rabbi, uh, for example, uh, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein has a, has, a, has a question, maybe perhaps maybe we'll discuss it t- uh, this evening, uh, about a person who believed that he was Moshiach, okay, and whether he was able, was, whether he was capable of giving his wife a get, whether he had the capacity to give his wife a get. Uh, he, has a, he, has a, he has another question about a person who... Um, who is mentally? It sounds like from the from the response is mentally mentally retarded. In other words, in other words, that they're in their brain that there's no way for them to, to, to be healed. That they're incapacitated because of some kind of either a chemical or something wrong with their with their mind. Whether whether a father is allowed to commit uh, one's daughter to an institution if she is uh, mentally incapacitated, or whether he's obligated to 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 to, uh, to support at home. Um, there are other questions such as, uh, we'll, if we have a chance, we'll discuss this evening, um, people who have uh, Alzheimer's or, uh, or, or dementia and in advanced stages where they are incapable of, of knowing where they are or remembering things, and it, are they obligated to, uh, to daven? Are they obligated to put on tefillin? Are they obligated, can they be included in a minion? Um, can they uh, appoint a healthcare proxy, uh, etc.? The questions are numerous. This topic, however, is there, there is no way to give uh, general guidelines because if every single case 
is extremely specific. The details have to be dealt with with a competent halakhic authority who knows, uh, who knows um, how to apply some of the principles that we will discuss this evening uh, uh, to, to, to every particular case. But we'll give cases in point and try to, uh, to have some understanding as to, uh, as to the ideas uh, behind this issue in Jewish law. Okay, so we begin with um, the Gemara in Tractate Chagiga on page 3b. The Gemara in Tractate Chagiga tells us uh, the definition of a shaita, the definition of a person who's insane. So the, 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 the Gemara says like this. The Gemara says, um, The Gemara says, who is a person who is, who is insane? So the, uh, the Gemara says, Right, Rashi explains, what do we need to know if somebody is insane or they're not insane, they're madly capacitated, incapacitated? Says Rashi, the reason why we need to know this is because a person who is cla- classified in halacha, according to halacha, as being mentally ill, being insane, that person is absolved from all mitzvahs and from all responsibility and punitive action. Right, and, and their, their kinyan, their acquisitions, is not an acquisition, and their sale is not a sale. In other words, they cannot affect anything in Jewish law in terms of, in terms of sale, and they're, they're absolved from, from it. So therefore, we need to know. We need to define a person who we will be able to hold accountable for their actions, and who we will tell can perform mitzvahs or not perform mitzvahs. Therefore, we need a definition. Yeah? Can they be included in a minion? Can they be included in a minion? That's part of the question. That's part of the question, right. So the... the uh, what? It, it seemingly from Rashi, Rashi says that a person can, this person cannot be included in a minion. We will see uh, that, as, as, as always in Judaism, it depends. <laughs> we will see that it depends. Hopefully we'll get to it. Okay, so the Gemara, the Talmud says like this. The Talmud says, who is a shaita? A person a shaita is a person who goes out at night by themselves. Okay, so uh, in the time of the Talmud, I guess, if you go out at night by yourself, you're considered to be a shaita. Right? Uh, I do not know if that's the case, uh, if that is the case by us, you know, we have lights, we have people hanging around, we're driving cars, um, it's pretty much, pretty much, uh, not, it's pretty much considered to be normal. Okay, so now, um, another, another one is, uh, the Thomas is like this, somebody who sleeps in the base Akbar, somebody who sleeps in a cemetery. And another one, the Thomas says, is somebody who rips their clothes. That person is considered to be a short. Now, the question is, the question is, is the Talmud's list exhaustive or is it examples? So this is a dispute. The Talmud says Rafune's of the opinion is the person has to do all three of these things. They have to do all three in order to be categorized as a shelter. The uh, Rav Yotaman says, even if the person does one of these things, they are cl- classified as a shelter. Says the Talmud, what's the case? What are we talking about? If he did this in a way that is, the Talmud says, Derek Stus, in a way that's irrational, then even if he does one, it's a problem, right? Even if he does one, it's a problem if, he, if it was irrational, right? As if there is no rational explanation for why a person is sleeping in a cemetery, then even if he does one, he doesn't need to do all three. And if, um, if he didn't do it, if there is a rational explanation for why he's doing it, then even if he does all three, that shouldn't clarify him as a shorter. So what are we talking about? That's the Talmud's question. So the Talmud answers, that, and it says that he does this in an irrational way. It's irrational, right? What he does is irrational. However, there is a far-fetched explanation for what the person did. So the Talmud says, 
person who uh, who sleeps in the in the cemetery, maybe they're doing it because they want that the evil spirit should uh, should be laid should, should should be upon them. They find, maybe they think that they can find the evil spirit in the cemetery. Okay, person who uh, goes out at night. Um, Rashi explains maybe because. Uh, because one of the one of the explanations of Rashi is because maybe they're too hot and they want to cool off. Okay, I guess we're talking about there maybe uh, there's no uh, and there's no air conditioning. Uh, it's in the summer. They live in Phoenix, whatever it may be, right? Uh, we don't know. Person who rips his clothes, maybe that person is not paying attention to what they're doing. Maybe they're so involved in thought they're not paying attention to ripping their clothes, right? That's the. Uh, like the Gemara says in, uh, for example, in Shabbos, the Gemara says on page 88a that uh, Rabbi was sitting on his, on his hands and his hands began to bleed. That story with uh, the, the Nasim Inishman story. Fine. The person's not paying attention. Right? So there is an excuse. So in that case, where we have, where we have, a, uh, where we have, where a person is doing something which is irrational, but there is a far-fetched explanation for what they're doing, that's where there's a dispute between Rabbi and and Rav Yochanan. Rav says he has to do all three. If he does all three, then that establishes him as a Shota because even though he has a far-fetched explanation for what he's doing, but he, since he did it three times, then uh, the explanations fall away. However, Rav Yochanan holds, even if it's one of those things, that classifies the person as a, that classifies the person as a Shota. So, so what comes out from this statement of the Talmud is like this. If a person is doing something which is irrational, which cannot be explained by any shape, way, or form, that qualifies them as mentally incapacitated as a shot as insane. If they're doing something which is rational, obviously they're sane. Right? If they're doing something which is if they're doing something which is irrational, but can be explained in a far fetched manner, then it's a dispute of whether that person has to do three of those things or one of those things. That's the conclusion of the Talmud. Right? That's what the conclusion of the Talmud says. So, for example, I was listening to, uh, uh, to a class that uh, Rabbi Blythe gave, and uh, uh, Rabbi Blythe is the, uh, he's a lecturer in the, in the he's, a, he work, he's a professor in Cardozo Law School, and he's also a lecturer in NYU, Yeshiva University. He's giving a class to his students, so he gave an example of a, of a person who, who, uh, who is perfectly lucid, completely lucid. However, there's one, one thing that he did, is that when he came to mealtime, he sat down on the floor and pecked at his food because he held he was a chicken. And chickens, chickens don't, uh, chickens don't, uh, don't uh, eat with a knife fork at the table, they peck at their food. But he was completely, everything else was completely uh, lucid and clear. Uh, you know, you could speak to him and, 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 and the conversation was completely sane except for when it was mealtime. It was mealtime, he held that he was, that he was a, uh, a chicken. So there is no rational explanation really for that. Right, so therefore, in halacha, we could probably qualify this person as, as 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 being insane. Okay, now the question is on the Talmud. The question on the Talmud is: Is the Talmud's list exhaustive? In other words, does does first of all, what is the law? Does the person have to have one of these things, or does he have to have three things that will qualify them as as being insane according to Jewish law? So this. Um, this is explained by the Rambam in the laws of Edos, in the laws of testimonies. The Rambam in chapter 9, law number 9 says like this. Okay? 
so I don't know, like in Judaism, I don't know if in, in Jewish law, I don't know if we're going to find a specific definition. Now, in psychology and psychiatry, there are specific definitions a person does, uh, uh, specific actions, right? Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist. But a uh, person does specific actions, so there's, there's a book that, the, that, that clearly defines that person as, 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 uh, what? I think they do. They have specific guidelines, right? Uh, the, yeah, the DSM, right? They have the guidelines that specifically define. I mean, fine. I mean, nothing is, is clear when it comes to this area, but there's specific guidelines that define. It, it, it seems to me, this is what it looks like at least, that, that uh, we're talking about something which is, uh, you know, a general definition of rational and irrational. If a person is completely irrational, then he's insane. If they are rational somewhat, we will see some examples, then it's a question whether they are. They're not depending on the circumstances, right? So the Rambam says like this. The Rambam says, a person who is a shota, a person who is insane, cannot give testimony in court. He is disqualified from giving testimony in court. Why? Because he is not obligated in any mitzvahs. Because they're not obligated in any mitzvahs, therefore they're disqualified from giving testimony in court. And we're not only talking about a person who walks around naked, without any clothes, or breaks things, or throws stones. Notice that the Rambam's examples are not the same examples as the Talmud, which seemed to suggest that the Talmud's list was not specific, but only uh, paradigm in, uh, paradigm in uh, what is the word, paradigmatic, or paradigmatic in nature, right? Uh, right? And then he says, rather, it's a person who is who's basically, I mean, literally lost their mind, and they're confused continually in one matter even though they can speak and answer in the rest of the matters, this person is disqualified. Uh, they're confused in one thing, they're continually confused in one thing. So it sounds like from the Rambam, and there are some commentaries that learn this way, it sounds like from the Rambam that the Rambam learns, first of all, that you only need one. You only need one. Oh, we skipped one, uh, another definition of Tom, I just want to mention quickly, that a person throws away everything that they get. They throw away everything that they get, they're also qualified as, as being thing. We forgot to mention that part. But even if they have one, says the Rambam, even if one, it sounds like even if there's one thing that they do that's irrational completely, or they're, they're confused, that qualifies them as a shota in Allah as being insane. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna mention that temporarily irrational. So at the time that they're rational, they're irrational, right? So uh, Dr. Becker gave me an example of a patient that came to his uh, to his practice. This it was a woman, a female of 60 years old, and she uh, claimed that she smelled something foul. So she did all kinds of research, and uh, she had uh, uh, her neighbors come, her friends come to her house, and she had uh, companies come and test the surrounding area, and there was no smell at all. And he came to the conclusion that it was completely, uh, that it was completely uh, psychological, that it was uh, uh, neuro, uh, neuro, neurological, that it was neurological, it was a neurological problem, that it was a hallucination, what's it called, uh, when you're hallucinating about your uh, smell, what? olfactory hallucination, that's what it's called, olfactory so, so she had this, she had this thing. So, so th- this such a person, such a person has hallucinations. They perhaps, according to Jewish law, they could, they could be, they could be qualified as a shelter. Now, we're not talking about somebody who's uh, mentally disabled necessarily, but they're confused about one particular thing that they can't, they can't, uh, 
they can't have straight. Okay. I mean, there's, there's millions of examples. You know, uh, um, uh, Oliver Sacks in his book, uh, the man, uh, the, the man who took his wife for a, for a, for, a, for a hat. So he has a case there. He has a case where a, 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 a man came in into his uh, into his uh, office. Uh, I don't remember the exact details, but it went something like this. He was about uh, I don't know, 55 years old, and he was stuck in his memory that he is 35. So he spoke to him. Everything 35. Everything just happened. How old are you? I'm 35 years old. What happened yesterday? Whatever happened when he was 35, that's what happened yesterday, right? This is the whole thing. So he decided. He said by mistake to show the man himself in the mirror. So he showed the man himself in the mirror. Okay, and the person looked at himself and became horrified because he realized that he's not 35 years old. So uh, the person was in horror. He's not 35 years old. <laughs> right, have a However, listen to this. With this fellow, with this fellow, a minute later, he forgot that he saw himself in the mirror because he saw again by the 30, he was 35 years old. Okay, so such a person. He's confused. He's confused. That's what I'm saying. The person is confused continually in a, in a specific manner. So he's confused. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know what, what, what year it is. He has no idea. He thinks he's 35. And he's not. Right? That's what the, uh, the Ramam says. The Ramam now talks about uh, epilepsy. At, and then he says that, you know, whatever, at the, at the time, the person who, is, uh, who, who falls down. So I guess that person falls down experiences uh, whatever. What? Seizure. Maybe it's talking about a person who has a seizure, right? So at at the moment that he is he has a seizure, he can't testify. However, at the time that he doesn't have a seizure, he can't testify. A person who uh, temp- some, from one time to another time has seizures, or he's continually in a, in a process of seizure without a specific time, right? Uh, then uh, th- that person. So I think that person, that person is cautious. As long as at the time he he testifies, he doesn't he doesn't have a he doesn't have a seizure. Okay, that's what the uh, basically what the Rambam says. Fine. So the basic definition is basically this: in Jewish law, person does something that's irrational. Now this is not set in stone because there's many different uh, many different opinions, and uh, the Rambam is not the only opinion. But right, at least according to the Rambam, in Jewish law, the, a person who is completely irrational in one thing that there is no even far-fetched explanation for is deemed as defined as a show that's defined as a person who's insane and that person is accordingly uh, uh, at least according to Rashi's explanation and, and, the, and the Ram said also is not obligated in themselves. So does that but they're absolutely rational in every other area of their life except they have a phobic fear of spiders. Let's say. That's not phobic. That's uh, yeah. Or, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm not sure. If a person has a phobia, so that's not, they're not doing something that's irrational. They're just, they're just abnormally scared. They're just abnormally scared. So I don't know. I don't know what, what we define that person. It depends on their behavior as a result of their phobia. Yeah. Right? I mean, I guess in, in, in a secular uh, psychological... that would be a pretty easy way out of mission. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, no, well, that's according to the Rambam. I think the contemporary practices, one does have to perform it according to their capacity. But I'm saying, in, 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 I think in, uh, in, uh, in uh, secular uh, definition, it depends on whether... And I, I haven't seen this in a long time, so maybe I'm wrong completely, but it depends on, on whether or not this gets... In, whether a phobia interrupts a person's regular life. 
if it doesn't interrupt their regular life, they're able to function, they're able to pay their bills, they're able to go to school or whatever it may be, you know, get dressed, uh, take a shower, or whatever it is, then they're considered to be sane. And if not, then they need, then they're considered to be insane. But in a secular definition, it's a question of treatment, right? In a Jewish definition, Rabbi Bleich said, it doesn't really matter whether you're insane or not. If there's a problem, then, then treatment is always sanctioned. Right, we're we're uh, we're we're trying we're grappling with defining a person who's sane or insane uh, in regard to whether they're obligated to mitzvah. So therefore, a person has a phobia, they would be obligated, or somebody or, or somebody who's responsible for them would be obligated to get them treatment regardless of whether or not they're considered as a, as a sane, a, insane as a result of that as a result of that phobia. In terms of uh, whether somebody can serve as a witness, you've been describing it as they can't serve as a witness because they're not obligated in mitzvahs, right? Right. Okay. But I'm not sure I understand that that connection. In other words, are we saying that because they're not obligated in mitzvahs, therefore they would not take their oath seriously? And oh. therefore... So this is Moshe Chaim, you're asking a very good question. This question is asked by all the commentaries. That the Rambam should have said that the reason why a person is not qualified, right, uh, the, the, the Kesef Mishnah asked this question, the, 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 I think the Lecha Mishnah maybe asked this question, right, the reason why a person cannot be a, a testimony when they're insane is because they're insane. It's because they can't, they can't render a, a, a lucid, reliable uh, opinion. Reliable opinion. Yes. Not because they're obligated. What is the, the Rambam talking about? What does he mean? Right, that's the question everybody asks. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein asked this question also. In Ezra, um, uh, number one, number 120, uh, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, our first case in point, has the following question. His question is, is that there's a person that came in front of him who, um, who uh, believes that he's Mashiach. Okay, he believes that he is the, uh, the Messiah. He believes that he's the Messiah. And as a result, as a result, he does all kinds of things because he's the Messiah. Number one, he always wants to daven for the Yomit. He always wants to uh, be the Shleich Tzibu. He also wants to be the Tzibu. He also wants to lay in the, in the Torah. Right? He uh, fights with everybody, with the Gabai, who doesn't let him do it, but he wants to daven every single time. Okay? So uh, he, uh, one time, uh, he, 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 sti- he stole uh, a Sefer Torah from the shore. Um, he steals things from people in order to blackmail them so they should give Daka. Okay, he walks, he climbs, where there's people gathered, congregated in one area, he climbs on top of a tree and gives a drush and sermonizes <laughs> to the people. Okay, sometimes he walks around without any clothes because he holds that he's on the same level as the first, as Adam Arishon, as the first man before the sin. Okay, uh, which, uh, who, who walked around any clothes. And he believes that his purpose in life is, is to achieve Tikkun Olam, is to achieve, uh, um, uh, to fix, to what? To, to, to perfect to perfect the world. This is what this person did. There's a lot of a lot more details, which where Moshe Feinstein goes into into tremendous detail to explain that he met with this person and tried to ask him questions exactly when did he have this problem, right? And uh, what Moshe says what Moshe says that uh, that he interviewed this person and found out that he even now at the interview believes in his heart of hearts that he is the Mashiach. Okay, and this person, what was the question? This person got married three years before, says Rav Moshe. He got married, he had this belief, but then I think then it dissipated, he was lucid and fine. 
after the marriage, a couple of days after the marriage, again he decided to act upon his belief that he's the Mashiach. And the question now, they came to him and asked him whether he's qualified to give a get to his wife, right? Because a person who is insane is, uh, cannot give a get to his wife because he doesn't have the capacity to, uh, to give her a get, okay? So this was the question that was asked to, uh, to Rav Moshe. Rav Moshe gives the answer uh, in a, in a, a, long, uh, a long responsa, and at the end, and in the beginning, he says that he allowed this person to give a get to his wife, and he mentions him by name. Right? He says, uh, uh, I think, right, he mentions, I made the woman, Hasha, the daughter of Chaim Yosef Halevi, that her husband gave her Yisrael, Ben Baruch Ariyelev, the Miskri Baruch, that is, his nickname is Baruch. I, 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 I let them, I, I allowed the guests to go through, I, I allowed him to give a guest. Okay? This is what Moshe says. So Moshe says, what is the reasoning? What is the reasoning for my decision? That's what this response is based upon. Why did he decide that this person is allowed to give a gift? Because at first, at first glance, the person is insane. He thinks he's Mashiach, right? And, and he's nuts. Uh, Bleich in his, in his class mentioned that this was a common uh, malady, uh, mental malady in, uh, in, in Eastern Europe, people believing that they were, uh, that they were, uh, that they were the Mashiach. So this was not something which is unusual for, uh, for a Moshe to face. He probably was familiar with, uh, with such cases. So he says as follows. He says a very interesting thing. Um, in, 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 you know, we're not going to talk about the whole response, but we will talk about uh, his analysis of the Rambam that we read and Moshe Chaim's question specifically. Okay? There's, two que- there's a few questions that Rabbi Moshe Feinstein asks on this Rambam that we learned. One of the questions is as follows. One of the questions is Moshe Chaim's question, which we will repeat again. And another question is as follows. He says that when the Rambam formulated his laws about what we qualify as a person who is insane, why did the Rambam formulate those laws in the laws of, of witnesses, of testimony? Why did he pick Hilchas Edus to, to, to put his laws there? Why there? Right? Why, why should he put it there? Why in the laws of Edus that it should be found there? That's question number one. Question number two is the reasoning that the Rambam gives doesn't make sense. The reason, he says that the reason why an insane person is disqualified from testimony is because they are not obligated in mitzvot. Asks Moshe Chaim, right? That's not the reason. The reason is because they are incapable of of giving a lucid testimony because a person is not a pendat. Person is not doesn't have uh, they don't have the capacity to testify properly in court. That's why they're disqualified. So why why did the Rambam have to say this? Okay, that is his question. That both things are true. They, they cannot be witnesses and they also can't be asked to do mitzvot if they're confused. And it, it is a mitzvot to be an age, isn't it? What? One, of, one of the mitzvot is to be a witness if you know something. That is a mitzvot. That if you are capable, if you know something. Right, right, right. Okay, so fine. If you get into a case, then you have to be. Then you have to be a witness. Okay, so that... You're obligated right, to that's 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 Okay, so Fine, but why did the Ram- okay, so if you're going to do that, so the Ramosha said, why did the Ram specifically pick this mitzvah? Mitzvah of testifying. There's other mitzvahs. Why did they pick this mitzvah? There's a mitzvah where it most counts that, that you could have okay, somebody else's life. Okay, maybe. Maybe, maybe there's other mitzvahs that count. I don't know. Well, maybe yes, maybe no. Saving lives, maybe also count. If you're a witness, you could really let somebody else. 
That's true. That's true. But it's still the question is the question is still valid. So the Ramosha says like this. Ramosha says we're talking about a case of a person who is insane in one thing. For example, he thinks he's a chicken at meal time, but the same every other time, every other moment they're there, right? There's no problem. There's no problem. That person can he testify in court? Because at the time you're testifying, it's not meal time. They're not sitting and pecking on the floor. <laughs> right? So can that person testify in court? That's the case we're talking about. So says, what? Says the Moshe, such a person, right, is not obligated to mitzvahs because he's insane. Right? He's insane. He holds he's a chicken. Right? So, or, let's, let's say the person holds he's Mashiach. He holds he's Mashiach. So that person is qualified and no longer is insane. Therefore, since he's insane, He's not obligated in mitzvahs. He's not obligated. He's absolved from all mitzvahs. That's what Moshe says. Right? I. so you're going to say, let's, you're going to ask me that if, if, let's say, for example, at the time that he eats, at the time that he eats, so he's not obligated to say a bracha. Because at that time he's insane. But what about when he testifies in court? Maybe then, that mitzvah he can do. Because that mitzvah, he is saying for that mitzvah. Says Rabbi Moshe, you cannot be high, you cannot be obligated in some mitzvahs and not obligated in other mitzvahs. If you can't do one mitzvah as the same person, you can't do any mitzvahs at all. What? Fine. So that's what Moshe says. If a person can't do one mitzvah, there's no obligation of mitzvahs no chatoyim. Right? There's no, there's no half obligation. But it's not obligated. If they can't do so therefore, if they're not, if, if they can't do the mitzvah shaking the mullah, then they can't testify either. And so a person is insane in one area which precludes them from doing something, uh, a mitzvah, then they can't do any mitzvahs at all. They're not obligated at all. That's what Moshe says. Because, now this, this part is a little bit, uh, um, this part is a little bit complex, but we, we're, we're going to say it anyway. Okay? Ready? This is a little bit complex. This is not complex, but a little bit uh, in, in, insightful. He says like this. Why is it that a person who's insane is not obligated in mitzvahs? Is it because it's just like they are tied up in a rope and they just can't do it? Or is it because, because they are qualified as being insane, the Torah never obligated them to do a mitzvah? What's the ramification? The ramification is, what happens if they have another mitzvah to do? For example, let's say they can't do the mitzvah of lulav. When they get a lulav, they just, uh, I don't know, right? Uh, they think it's a spaceship. So therefore, it's not possible for them to, to, to complete that mitzvah. So, so are they, are, 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 why are they not obligated in that mitzvah? Because they can't do it physically, because it's not possible for them to do it, their insanity precludes them from performing that mitzvah, or is it because now that they're insane, the Torah doesn't obligate them to do that mitzvah? What's the ramification? What happens if there's another mitzvah that they can do? If the reason why they're not obligated in the mitzvah of the Lord is because they can't do it, then whatever they can do, they will be able to do. But if the reason why they are not obligated to do a mitzvah which they, which they, which they cannot do is because the Torah did not obligate them to do that mitzvah, then even if they can do some other mitzvah, they can't do it because the Torah doesn't obligate them. Now, do you mean they can't or they don't have to? I mean they can't. They so can't. therefore, says the Moshe, 
Ramosha brings a proof and he says that a person who's insane is essentially absolved from doing uh, that mitzvah. Not because they can't do it, but because in essence the Torah does not require them to do it. doesn't hold them responsible for that. And therefore, since they're absolved from that mitzvah, they're absolved from all of it. Okay? That's what Moshe says. Now, here is the kicker. Okay? Says with Moshe that that's about mitzvahs. However, however, when it comes to responsible acts, such as an acquisition, or signing a healthcare proxy, or, 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 uh, or giving a get, or shechting uh, an animal, when it comes, if they, are, if they have the capacity to do that, then that action is valid. The shechita is a shechita, the proxy is a proxy, right? The decision is the decision. If they have the capacity to make the decision, if they are lucid at the time they make that decision, then they can make that decision. And that decision is valid. So therefore, even a person might be qualified by Jewish law as being insane, for one thing. And therefore, they're not obligated in any mitzvah. Still, at the same time, they have, if they have the, the, the capacity to be able to make a decision, then the decision is valid. Therefore, a person who thinks he's Mashiach, for example, can give his wife a gift. Because even though he thinks he's Mashiach, and that qualifies him according to Allah as being insane, and he's not obligated in any mitzvahs, but if he's lucid, to be able to write a gift and appoint a, a messenger to write that gift, then that's a valid transaction. Because he can perform that transaction, but it has nothing to do with his obligation of mitzvahs. Right, there's two things. The Torah, there's two things. One thing is the obligation of mitzvahs, and then there is the capa- my capacity to be able to do something to perform an action. So just because I'm absolved from mitzvahs doesn't mean that my capacity to perform an action is invalid, and therefore I can give a gift. The Moshe, that's his analysis of this Rambam. That's his analysis of this Rambam. Therefore, to answer Moshe Chaim's question, why is it that a person can't give testimony? Says the Rambam, why can't he give testimony if he's insane? Because he's not obligated in mitzvahs. Asks Moshe Chaim and all the other commentaries. No, the reason why he can't give testimony is because he's insane. Because he can't give a lucid argument. Says the Moshe, no, he is able to give testimony. He's lucid when it comes to the testimony. He can't shake the mullah. He thinks he's Mashiach, whatever. But when it comes to the testimony, he can give the testimony. Says the Rabbi, he, right? Says the Rabbi, you might think that since he's lucid at the time of the testimony, it's the same thing as giving your wife a get. Says the Rabbi, no. Testimony, for reasons we're not going to get into right now, is uh, in, the, in the qualification of a mitzvah. And the reason why he's absolved from performing the... from... from, from, from uh, from the reason why he, I'm sorry, the reason why he can't give testimony is because he's absolved from mitzvahs. But otherwise, if it was not connected to mitzvahs, he would be able to give testimony. The same way he can give a get. And that's why the laws of the this why this law appears in the laws of testimonies. Because the rabbi wants to tell us about a testimony, what he can do with whether this person can give a testimony, because he knows he can give a get. That's the Moshe's the answer is is that Ramosha's analysis of this rabbi uh, amongst amongst other things. But then Ramosha says like this. Ramosha says, and this is all on the assumption that a person who thinks he's Mashiach is insane. But I want to claim that a person who thinks Mashiach is not insane. Okay? Why not? Says Ramosha. Right? Let me ask you a question. Somebody who bows down to sticks and stones and says, please bring me a cupcake. Is that person insane? 
So, so, so it's not, the Torah doesn't say he's insane. The Torah says he's an Agarabba Desara. The Torah says that he's an idol worshiper. The Torah doesn't say he's insane. Right? He has a rational explanation of what he's doing. He believes that this stone can bring him a cupcake. And therefore he prays to the stone. He brings presents to the stone. Right? He builds an altar for the stone. He brings him sack of a cup on it to the stone. He has, he, he has, he has, he has a, a method literally to his madness. The Torah is not considered such a person insane. So, Sarah Ramosha, a person who thinks he's Mashiach, is not insane. It is a gross, um, it is a gross, uh, um, and perverse perception of oneself. It is uh, an exaggerated arrogance. The person thinks that they are so great that they can be Mashiach. That's not insanity. That, 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 that is, it's foolish. You might say it's foolish, but it's not insanity. It's perfectly logical. Says Moshe, maybe you'll tell me the fact that he walks around uh, naked, or right? he walks around without clothes. That qualifies insane. The Rambam said that explicitly. A person walks around naked is insane. So he says, no, that's only if a person walks around naked and w- w- without clothes, um, without reason, without a rational explanation. But this person has a rational explanation. He's Mashiach. It's everything that he does stems from his belief that he's Mashiach. Since he believes he's Mashiach, therefore he has to walk around without clothes. Why? Because Mashiach is on the same spiritual level as other Marishan, as the first man before the sin, where he walked around without clothes. He doesn't, it's not in the right. He has an expert. Why does he climb on a tree and sermonize? Because he believes he has to fix the world. He has to teach people about the Torah. So therefore, right, it all stems from his perception of himself. Albeit that it's a foolish question. Therefore he's not, I hope that it's not even insane. And therefore he is obligated to make this. However, right, and therefore he for sure can give his life again. That's, uh, this is concept. Oh, so this person would be counted as a minion, but that's the question. So now the question is like this. There is a, uh, a, uh, there's a lot to talk about, but just to mention briefly before we, con- we, we conclude, there is a, um, an article in, uh, the Journal of, of Halak and Contemporary Society. This number is, uh, 40, 42? Is this L is... 52, 52, yeah. 52, number 52, page 83. There is a, an, an article here from, uh, um, from uh, the Director of Pastoral Care at the Gerwin Jewish Geriatric Center, Comac, Long Island, and a senior fellow at the Institute for Medicine and Contemporary Society at SUNY Stony Brook. His name is Rabbi Zev Shostak. Okay, the article is entitled Alzheimer's and Dementia in Elderly, Halachic Perspective. Okay, so basically he uses this Rav Moshe and uh, uses his Rav Moshe to say that it, it, right, his question basically is, is that what state is a person who, is, who has Alzheimer's or, uh, uh, or, uh, or dementia, right, are they obligated in mitzvahs? So basically he says, based upon the, uh, it seems like based upon the Rav Moshe that we discussed, that it really depends on the, uh, on the stages uh, uh, at the level of the person is holding in, in their dementia, if they are if they are lucid and they're and they're and they're capable of, of making decisions, then they can appoint their healthcare proxy even though they already have the disease, right? So as long as as long as um, uh, there's an objective determination that they are capable of making decisions, right? Doesn't mean that whether they are absolved from mitzvahs or not, uh, doesn't mean that they can't make decisions. Very concerned. So therefore, obviously, at an advanced stage of dementia where a person finds themselves they don't know where they are they have no idea what, what, what's happening right so then they obviously can't make the, the decision it all depends on their capacity their capability of making a decision so now 
um, as far as being able to count the for a minion, the answer is, and it's a longer discussion, the answer is they can be counted for a minion. And they can be counted for benching also, right? A person who is, uh, who is um, uh, halakhically a shota, as long as, as long as they are able to focus on what they're doing and they know what they're doing. Person is is, is 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 able to understand, right? We don't necessarily have to give them an aliyah every single week, but uh, but if if uh, you know if it's necessary to give them an aliyah, one is uh, one is able to give them an aliyah as long as they are able to focus on the aliyah or participate in the meeting and know uh, and know where uh, where where they are and what they're doing. Okay, so that's uh, that, that's basically what he says. Um, he discusses you know he discusses all kinds of different issues on this uh, 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 pertaining to this topic but basically that, that is his conclusion he says we will conclude with this insight from Reb Chaim from Reb Chaim uh, in his in his book Shudush Reb Chaim Reb Chaim asks a question on the Rambam this is a very interesting uh, lesson just in, in general Reb Chaim asks a question on the Rambam Reb Chaim's question is like this the Rambam says that a person has to concentrate when they dive it it requires concentration right so the Rambam says if they don't concentrate what they da- when they daven, they don't fulfill their obligation. It's as if they never daven. Okay, that's one statement of the Rambam. Another statement of the Rambam is the Rambam says that a person has to concentrate while they daven. However, if they don't concentrate, as long as they concentrated on the first bracha of Shemona Esrei, the first bracha, the first blessing of uh, Shemona Esrei, they fulfill their obligation. Asks Reb Chaim, it's a contradiction, right? Because the Rambam on the one hand says that that one needs to concentrate the entire davening, and on the other hand, the Rambam says that one needs to focus only the first, the first, uh, the first. It, it comes out contemporary practice, the first three blessings of 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 right? So he asks on uh, Rav Chaim, it's a contradiction. What what's it? So he says like this: there are two laws in Tefillah. There are two laws when it comes to davening. One law is is that a person has to know what they're doing. They have to know that they're standing in front of God. They don't have to necessarily know what they're saying. They have to know that they're standing in front of God. That is the definition of davening, right? That's not a definition of concentration. That is part of the itself of the of of, of what the the elements that comprise a davening, the elements that comprise a, a prayer. A prayer is a person who is praying to Hashem. So if a person is not aware that they're praying to Hashem, then they're not praying at all. That's one requirement of tefillah. Now there's another requirement of tefillah, which is, is that a person has to understand what they are saying. They have to understand the words, they have to concentrate on the actual prayer that they say. Right? So that, that, they don't, if they don't concentrate on the translation of the words that they're saying, they're still praying, because they know that they're diving in front of Hashem. They just don't know what they're saying. That is, that is not, that is not, the, the fact that they have to know the translation of the words that they're saying is not in the definition of the prayer itself, but it is a, 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 a clause in the prayer. When one prays, they have to understand what they're saying. That resolves the contradiction of the Ram. The Ram when the Ram says that a person does not fulfill their obligation at all when they didn't concentrate, he means that they didn't know at all that they were standing in front of Hashem. They, they're not aware they're standing in front of Hashem. Then they have to go back and dive in again. And the Rambam says it's prohibited to daven if a person is confused and is unable to focus on the fact that they are davening in front of Hashem. Right. Now the Rambam says, however, if they're paying attention to the words, 
and they realized they paid attention to the words. They get, if they said that, if they paid attention to the first three brachos, they fulfilled the obligation. They don't have to pay attention to the rest because they're still valid. They know in front of who they died. So the uh, uh, rabbi uh, uh, this, the, in this article, Rabbi Shostak says that a person who is in advanced stages of dementia, right, don't know where they are or what they're doing. They are incapable of, of recognizing um, uh, what, where they find themselves. So if they, if, if they get to the point, he says, where they are incapable of recognizing that they are davening, then they are no longer obligated to daven. Right? It's obvious. The person is not able, because that is already the definition of davening is, is that the person has to know what they are doing in front of whom they are davening. And if they don't know, then, uh, then they're not davening, so they're not obligated to daven. So for, therefore, a person who is sick, uh, in such a case, is, um, is absolved. So this, uh, we're, we're out of time. And this, these are some of the ideas that are involved in this, in this issue of, uh, uh, of halacha in, in defining somebody who is mentally ill.